Welcome to the Bible Unbound podcast. I'm your host, Jim, and we're working through the book of Revelation, chapter 1, and in particular, verse 17, where John responds to the great vision of Jesus Christ that has just been set before him. His response was, as it should be with anyone who sees the kind of vision that John did on the Isle of Patmos, he fell down, it says, on his feet as dead. He was so dismantled, he was so dominated by the defining vision of Jesus Christ. He was seeing who Christ is in post-resurrection ascended glory, and he's seeing who John is in his humble, frail, mortal humanity. I would suggest at this point that you've probably never had the kind of vision that John had or that Job or Isaiah or Ezekiel, Paul, Peter, and you probably never will, but that doesn't mean that the concept, that is the biblical concept of vision, is irrelevant to you because it's not. Vision grips very, very deeply. And when a person becomes occupied by a grand narrative such as that as the resurrected, glorified Christ, it is and it has to be transformative. So I would just want to ask you a question. What would you rather have? A grand vision like John did or like Peter and and James and John did on Mount Transfiguration? Or would you rather have a Bible? You see, I'm going to make the case that your Bible can be your great window into a transformative vision of Jesus Christ. Some of us say, well, if I had the kind of experience that John did, well, then I would be transformed. But the fact is, you can be transformed by your occupation with what Hebrews 4 verse 12 says is the living word. I want to reflect for a moment on some words written by the Apostle Peter in his second epistle. There in chapter 1 and verse 16, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. You see, just like John has had this vision in Revelation 1, so Peter had something very similar on the top of the mountain of transfiguration. And verse 17, he says, For when he received, that is when Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's take a little bit closer look at Peter's experience of vision. Now, we see how 
vision transforms. I mean, just imagine the Emmaus Road disciples in Luke 24, how different they were. In fact, they said, how our hearts burned within us while Jesus, that is the resurrected Christ, spoke to us and walked with us along the way. And when he broke bread, we saw him and we were different from there on. How Damascus Road was so transformative to uh, Paul, Saul of Tarsus. Well, Peter is describing what transpired on what he calls the Holy Mountain. This was probably uh, Mount Hermon. It was probably the area north of Caesarea Philippi, where in Matthew 17, it describes them as being in that place. Matthew 16, the gates of hell, Jesus says, will not prevail against the church that I am building on this rock. And many believe that on this rock, he was talking about that bastion of pagan idolatry, Mount Hermon. Regardless, it was a manifestation of Jesus' glory. And for Peter, it was a moment of time there on top of that mountain. But Peter goes on to describe something. He says, while we had the experience of a vision, he says, you have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. That's verse 19, 2 Peter 1. That is, the Bible is more confirming than Peter's own experience on the mountain. And then Peter urges us, you will do well to pay attention. He says, because it's like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What's he talking about? Morning star rising in our hearts, the day dawn, because we are paying attention to the more prophetic word? Well, that's where it ties back into the book of Revelation, not only John's vision in Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 through 20, but Revelation 2, verse 28, to the church at Thyatira, Jesus says this, and I will give him who overcomes the morning star. That's just what Peter said. And in Revelation 22, concerning the new Jerusalem, Jesus says in verse 16, Revelation 22, I, Jesus, am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. So it's no wonder Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, for God who said, let the light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So when Peter says, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation, but it was from men who spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, I want to pause and just ask, why don't we have that same experience? Why don't we open up the pages of the Bible and it turns into this three-dimensional reality before us, not just height and width, but height and width and depth. That's one of the most grievous things in today's modern evangelical church is the biblical illiteracy and the fact that the Bible does not seem to be living And so in the face of that, we see compromise. We see befriending of the world. 
We see the church throwing away her confidence in Christ and his word. Oh, we love Jesus. We just don't have much to do with the Bible. That would be a blindness to the most vital realities in all of heaven and earth. The association between Christ and his word is so close. Scripture calls it the living word in Hebrews 4. And so Christ is the Logos who jumps onto the stage of human history out of John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Well, back to John in his vision, Revelation 1, verse 17. There he is crumbled in the dust. There he is broken, dismantled, because the dominance of the vision has defined Christ anew for him and defined John in the brokenness of his mortal humanity. So, thankfully, Jesus has kind of tamed down over 2,000 years, right? I mean, after all, we don't experience him like John did, so he must have maybe tamed down a bit. The book of Hebrews claims clearly Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yet, we become more notable by, say, for example, in your rearview mirror, you see a policeman. There he pulls up behind you. Suddenly, everything seems to change. Emotionally, maybe even physically. You're vastly aware of his presence. So just because we are not aware of the personal presence of Christ, do not think that means he is not present or that he's not quite aware of everything we are doing. The intimate details that he speaks of, as we'll see next week in the seven letters to the churches at Asia Minor, that great detail of which he speaks makes it clear that he is present and watching and is concerned with the churches, the candlesticks, wherein he is watching very closely. He walks among the golden candlesticks. So why don't you think that there's much trembling anymore in the presence of Jesus? What are the root causes of this dullness within the church? Compromise? Lack of unity? Biblical illiteracy? Cultural accommodation? Or could it be something like the fact that 70% statistically of the professing evangelical church, the men, 70% of the men, are in habitual pornography. The pastors of the churches, statistically, 50% use porn regularly. How can that coincide with the vision of Christ? Please join with me in praying vigorously for the state of the church in the United States today. Our condition is desperate. Our need for awakening is rampant and vital. 
So we'll close down at this point in today's podcast. We'll pick it back up again next week. Visiting the letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor, found in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. I do hope you have a blessed day in the Lord, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.